I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and we are here to resume our studies in the book of Romans, and we are entering into chapter 2 in this video. I'll give a very clear connection between the latter part of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. Then we'll read from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and then continue our study of the text. I hope you have your Bible open. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things yourself. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there, <coughs> excuse me, there will be wrath and fury. There will be turbulence and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first, and also for the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. But when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's the reading of Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Here's what we know from chapter 1. We studied in the past video. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing by the Holy Spirit these letters to the church at Rome. He expresses his interest in their spiritual welfare. He states his intention to visit them, to preach the gospel. 
He is not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save sinners. That power is applied by the obedience of faith. That power is necessary because of the sin of man, well documented in Romans 1, 18-32. I need to emphasize the important link between the end of chapter 1 and the opening of chapter 2. Keep well in mind the last part of chapter 1 hammers away at one point. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul details the sins of man that offends God, and there is no excuse. Now, he continues to drive home the point of sin, but wants to make it clear nobody is excused. Jews, Gentiles, nobody escapes the force of the indictment against the human race that we are all guilty of sin. Now, there is a literary device that kicks in here, not typical in English, and so I'll try to take a moment to explain. Paul addresses an imaginary generic opponent. It's like he's talking to somebody, but you don't see them. When he says you in verse 1 of chapter 2, he is addressing what some objector might say. It is like he wants to leave no doubt that nobody can claim the sins of chapter 1 apply only to others. So he's talking to this man. Now, here's what this is about, given the culture and issues of the day. There was a common attitude among Jewish people that the Gentiles were the ones guilty of those sins exposed in chapter 1. You can see this frame of mind all the way back with John the Baptist when he came and convicted sinners, and the Jewish leaders didn't believe he was talking about them. The prevailing attitude was typical that the Gentiles were guilty of idolatry and sexual immorality and murder and all that, but not the Jews. They are God's people. Paul is responding to that by interrogating a typical opponent with a Jewish mentality that would deny their guilt. Here is something very direct for us. You have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the same things. Try to picture this man who hears the record or reads the argument back in chapter 1 about all that sin, about God's wrath against all that sin. But he says to himself, well, that may apply to those Gentiles, but not to me. I'm a Jew. Paul is responding. To whatever extent you excuse yourselves and condemn others and claim an exemption from their sins, you condemn yourself when you practice the same things. <clears throat> the implication of this whole paragraph is the Jews were guilty of these sins just like the Gentiles. Notice this, back in chapter 1, verse 20, the phrase, without excuse. Notice here in chapter 2, verse 1, same phrase, without excuse.
The idea is no matter who you are, if you judge others of sins you are also guilty of, your condemnation is identical to their condemnation. Verse 2 adds that God's judgment is not preferential or prejudice. Whoever practices the things condemned back in chapter 1 stands guilty. We know that the judgment of God rightly, rightly falls on those who practice such things. Later in this passage, Paul will stress that there is no partiality with God. So Jew, Gentile, nationality, color, ethnicity, location, whatever other title or group you might want to wear, human beings of sufficient maturity are accountable to God no matter who they are when they violate his law. Adding verse 3, there is a single, simple, tightly argument that begins Romans chapter 2. Therefore you are, or you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? To that, add verse 4. Or do you yourself despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? When you deny your guilt and remain in sin, refusing to acknowledge your sin and repent, here's what you're doing. You are despising the riches of God's goodness and forbearance, and it's like you know God is, and you know God is good, but you suppress all of that in order to continue to practice your sin. And that's a terrible place for someone to be. Again, I would bring up there is no excuse for sin. There's no reason to remain in it. God's goodness and forbearance has provided a way of escape. To not take that way is to despise the goodness of God. If a sinner doesn't admit their sin and repent, as the sinner continues in sin, the heart becomes hardened and impenitent. That's very dangerous because as one remains in sin, they set themselves up for the wrath of God. Verse 5 is significant here. Verse 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We set ourselves up to be recipients of, of wrath instead of grace when we refuse to admit our sin and repent, whatever that sin might be. The big sins, the little sins. I believe that's the simple essence of verse 5. And add to that the sober reminder in verse 6 that God will render to each one according to his deeds. You don't escape the judgment of God because you're a member of a certain group or nation or race. If you are guilty of sin, 
Like those detailed back in chapter 1, you must know that God will render to each one according to his deeds. The next five verses need to be read and studied together. I'm in Romans 2 at 7 through 11. Romans 2, 7 through 11. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also for the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God responds to each of us according to what we've done. If I become involved patiently and consistently in doing what is good, God responds to that. And Paul describes that response as eternal life. The other end of that is obvious. If my life is self-seeking, I do not obey the truth, it's unrighteous, Verse 9 identifies the end of that way of life in terms of tribulation and anguish. And this applies whether Jew or Greek. Verse 11 says, there is no partiality with God. The whole point of this section is, there is no excuse. Whoever you are, whatever group you belong to, if you do the bad things identified in chapter 1, you earn tribulation, and anguish, uh, anguish, uh, anguish. Verses 11 through 16. 11 through 16 in Romans chapter 2. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Gentiles were never under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was given to the Jewish nation. Gentiles, in that sense, were without law. But Paul is saying here, Jew, Gentiles, under the law or not, if you do good, God responds to that. If you do evil, God responds to that. The passage brings up the possibility of Gentiles who were not under the law of Moses being acceptable to God. By doing what they naturally knew 
was right and good before the Creator. So the imaginary unbelieving Jewish opponent is answered soundly by the Apostle Paul. And here's what's absolutely known. There will be a judgment day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And that takes us back to the truth that man needs the gospel because of sin. Whatever group man came from, whatever his origin, his birth, his geographic place or culture, ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, there will be a judgment day. <coughs> the only way to get ready is the gospel. Three things I need to underscore from this section. One, the ultimate judgment of our conduct is God's. What the Jew says about the Gentile, what the Gentile says about the Jew, not the ultimate judgment. What people say about us and what we say about them, not the ultimate judgment. God's judgment is the ultimate final judgment. Number two, God's judgment is individual, not collective. Verse six, each one. Many people in the world today seem to think if they, if they are part of a certain group, they can get to heaven just on the coattails of uh, the favor of that group. The idea is just get in the right nation, the right group, the right organization, the right family, the right church, and apart from anything else, you get straight into heaven. Contrary to that, this passage clearly teaches that God's judgment is individual and not collective. Each one will be rewarded according to his works. Now, this doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter what group you're in. It means membership, even in the right group, is no guarantee to heaven. Faithful response to God as a member of his family, active in his local church. That's what's crucial. Ultimate judgment belongs to God, and he will render to each one according to his works. Three, the gospel is now the standard, not the law of Moses, the gospel. The question will be on the judgment day. Have you heard? Did you believe? And did you obey? the gospel of Christ. Thank you for listening.